0: There's an old joke, um, why did the yogurt go to the art exhibition? Because it was cultured. Well, that's essentially how I feel about life. I always feel like no matter what I do, I'll never be as cultured as the yogurt, even though I am a bit cheesy. The other important joke for me is one that I feel hits pretty close to home, like I connect with it on a personal level. It goes like this, I'm paraphrasing. How many podcast hosts does it take to screw in a light bulb? One. (laughs) That's a key joke of my adult life in terms of my relationships with women. Another joke that I really feel relevant is, why are elevator jokes so good? Because they work on so many levels. Do you hear the one about the guy who told his doctor that he broke his hands in two places? His doctor told him to stop going to those places. Knock, knock. Who's there? Candice. Candice who? Can this door open or am I stuck out here? A rabbi walks into a bar with a parrot. Welcome
1: to the Culture Quest Podcast. Today, in Tavern Talk, we'll be talking about our favorite musical episodes from TV shows. And then in the main discussion, we'll break down Annie Hall, a film by Woody Allen. And finally, I'll introduce the topic of next episode, which is Jurassic Park, a film by Steven Spielberg.
0: Hello, and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurer's and now, we're all okay with being in a club that would have us as members. With me, as always, are Peter. Hey, hello. And Barrio.
2: I say, I mean, I mean, hello. That was that was a weak try at Woody Allen. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. A weak try is better than no try at all. Yeah. And I am Inon. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today, we'll be discussing Woody Allen's Annie Hall. But before we do that, let's do some tavern talk. Tavern <laughs> talk.
2: We don't need no jingles. We got our sound boxes.
0: <laughs> In today's Tavern Talk, we're talking about our favorite musical episodes from TV shows. As you may know, a lot of TV shows have this kind of episode. It's usually either an episode with a story that is kind of consistent with the rest of the show, or it might be a more of a standalone kind of story, But either way, it's an episode that has anything from a few songs to nothing but songs in it. Here's a quick list of examples. I know that Buffy the Vampire Slayer had a musical episode in their sixth season because the people I hang around with keep mentioning it. I know that the 70s show had one in their fourth season, which I really loved. It had a lot of really good... Songs from the 70s, and I haven't seen it, but I've seen something on Google about a Xena the Princess Warrior musical episode.
2: <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I, really? <laughs> from my early childhood.
0: I, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Have you ever watched it?
2: Yeah, in my early teenage Well, I'm not sure it's teenage. like, is 10, 11 a teenage? No, it's not teenage. On age. the cusp. <laughs> yeah, so I think around those ages, I, I watched both Xena uh, and, and Hercules.
0: Um, the Adventures of Hercules or yeah. whatever it was. Hercules,
2: Hercules.
0: And yeah, I remember <laughs> that. I think there was also a musical episode in Hercules. I know there was kind of a crossover episode, but I didn't know they had musical episodes.
2: Well, they, they at least I, I think they probably did everything that is possible. I, I, There's actually one episode in Hercules, I remember, where they are in the future and there are like normal people... And and like Kevin Sorbo and you know all like they're they're the characters, but you find out at the end of the episode that Kevin Sorbo is actually Hercules who is given like immortal life and is just like seeing throughout history and decided to play himself huh. in in the TV series. Yeah.
0: I thought I watched a lot of that show, but wow, it turns out I didn't. <laughs> but anyway, what are your favorite musical episodes, uh, Peter? Do you want to start?
1: Sure. Um... Well, my favourite episodes are never the musical episodes, usually. You don't like them? I hate musical episodes. There's only been a few times where I've enjoyed it, and usually it's because they're just making fun of musical episodes. But, yeah, I don't know. There's just something a bit corny about it, and especially when it doesn't fit with the broader show. Like, I know um, this wasn't a good show anyway, but The Flash did um, like a musical episode which is like meant to be like a superhero crime fighting sort of sci-fi sort of show and then they did like a legit music episode and I was just like what <laughs> what is going on <laughs> so overall not a fan but my favorite one is actually a good one I think but it's not it, it's not a musical the whole way through it's more towards the end. But this is uh, episode of How I Met Your Mother, which does have quite a bit of music in the show. Is the
2: is the musical episode? Is the one with where he sings about his suits?
1: Oh, that one's a good one. That's episode one hundred, actually. And um, oh, really? Yeah, that one's probably like the most popular sort of song, maybe um, that they've done. And um, that one really shows how good Barney is, or Neil Patrick Harris is at singing, because yeah, he's he's crazy talented. He's legitimately done vocal training and he's a legitimately good performer and singer, but then, say, Alison Hannigan, um, Lily, she was, like, petrified of singing on this, like, 100th really? episode. Yeah. And um, so, they gave her a line, but it was, like, one small sort of line to say, so everyone else had to huh. do more, but... Um, no, that was a good one as well. That would be my runner-up, but my favourite one is just um, slap that, which... Slapbet is sort of like what most How Meet Met Metal fans think is the pinnacle of the whole series. But basically, Robin has this secret, which is revealed at the end of the episode, because and it all starts because she doesn't want to go to the mall. So everyone is saying, hey, let's go to the mall, and then Robin's like, uh, no. And then, obviously, Barney is the one that wants to find out the most, because if anyone has a secret, Barney wants to find out. And he signs up for a slap bet, hence the name of the episode, with Marshall. And Marshall says it's because she was married in a different country and um, she was married in a mall and she doesn't want to go back to a mall. And Barney says it's because she did adult videos. And um, basically, it gets to the end and it's revealed that she was once a pop star in Canada when she was like young, sort of late teens I guess you could say and um it's actually not a bad song like well I mean it's a bad song because you know like a it's teenager in Canada it's supposed to be but it's also <laughs> like well made you know what i mean like yeah. it's that they obviously spent a bit of time on it so and then they play it a lot and it also <laughs> comes comes up later with like sort of sequels to the to this like this there's an episode i think it's called sandcastles in the sand where she turns out she's done like more songs and yeah so um but that would be my favorite because it's integrated into the storyline well it's based around a song but it's not like it doesn't feel out of place
0: yeah i guess i guess i know what you mean like a musical episode can be like a distraction like it can really go off the, the the road and like do something completely different from the rest of the episodes in the season.
1: Yeah, so, like, sticking with my sort of stance on musical episodes, this is, like, such a good episode, but it's also a musical episode. So, that's sort of where I where I draw my <laughs> line in the sand, you can say.
2: <laughs> if you want to see something amazing, do a YouTube search of uh, Neil Patrick Harrison and the Tony Awards show.
1: I don't think I've seen yeah, it. Yeah,
2: well, he got a couple, but there's one that is just amazing I, I think i watched it like 40 times just out wow. of this world yeah just youtube uh bigger the whole concept of of the entire song is just to do it bigger and it starts very small and just explodes
0: in this carnival of musicals and just amazing i'll link to it in the show notes yeah but if we're talking about Neil Patrick Harris, before we move on to yours, Barrio, I, I have to ask, have you guys watched um, Dr. Horrible's Singalong blog?
1: No, I have not.
2: Of course, of course.
0: I, I, it's great. It's great. It's just... Yeah, it's great. It's like this... Uh, I remember in 2008, I think, there was this Writer guilds shutdown or whatever it was, uh, protest, I think it yeah. was. And Joss Whedon, just, he wrote this three episodes. I think all in all, it's like 45 minutes. YouTube show called Doctor Horrible's Sing Along Blog. It stars um, Neil Patrick Harris as Doctor Horrible, and his arch nemesis is um, Nathan Fillion from Firefly. <laughs> and uh, there's a bunch of other kind of uh, uh, familiar faces there. And it's like 45 minutes. It's really cute. It's not the production isn't great because like I don't think they had like this amazing budget or anything. But really good songs. Really sad story. Like, I think it's one of the best things that I've seen. Yeah, I agree. It's awesome. And I think
2: like part of it being so awesome is that you can feel it's low budget and small. That's part of its charm.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes as well. But Peter, you have to see this. Uh, what about you, Barrio? What's your uh, favorite musical episode?
2: You, you can't even tell us apart anymore. <laughs> <huh>? <laughs> I was, uh, was kind of uh, on the fence with two. First, the first one that came into mind is uh, Scrubs musical musical episode, which is
0: great. Yeah, I agree.
2: Um, especially if you follow this the whole series, it's very. It complements like the different characters from a hospital with corrupted management. There's uh, this cynical nihilist doctor, uh, Doctor Cox, which is the mentor of, of JD, which is the the Protagonist, I guess they got also like this duet there, and and JD got this really disturbingly close best friend, <laughs> and, and they also have a song called Guys Love, and um, which is totally a platonic, of course, and 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 just great great combination of uh, you know good music and and funny, really funny lyrics. Yeah, I love
0: that episode, um, and it's kind of one of the only musical episodes that has like a good excuse of being. A musical episode because, like, they have this patient who's something wrong with her head, and they don't know what it is. But everything she hears is people singing. So everyone around her, as long as you're in the same room as her, you're singing a song. So it's a good excuse to having a um, a musical episode. Yeah,
2: and I th- and I remember they they keep testing her, and at the end they they find a way I think to fix her, and and then suddenly everything stops being musical, and it's and it's very sad. <laughs> it kind of ends like in a sad tone. That, yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, you're right. I remember that. Um,
2: The other one is um, there's actually a cartoon that I got into a couple of years ago, I think, called Steven Universe, which starts very small and naive and kind of grows into this really interesting plot. And, you know, it's a a TV show, but it it got like very interesting motives, especially regarding a, a gender role, which I think have Mm. a very very interesting um message and the episodes are very short i think they're between 10 and 15 minutes something like that Mm. and there's a musical episode which is you know like when you have episodes of 10-15 minutes it's kind of hard to squeeze everything in so the songs are really short um but they got a really great one very touching you know most not really funny songs but they got a couple of things that that really sticks with you i still hear the soundtrack of that show. One of the creators of that show, well, the creator of that show is also the one who's writing the the musical bits. Um, Her name is Rebecca Sugar. Maybe you heard of her. She's very talented, mainly in working in Cartoon Network, but um, got really great stuff going on there. In both of them, I wouldn't recommend just go and see the musical episode. You kind of have to commit to that TV show and then you appreciate the musical episode
0: much more.
1: I think I'll watch um, Scrubs, actually. That one seems like a show that I would like, so I'll get to that one day.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's really cute. I really like it. And I I plan to watch Steven Universe. We watched the movie together, and I didn't expect it to be that good, so I want to watch the the show as well.
2: Yeah, I would recommend.
0: Um, My favorite uh, musical episode is the one from South Park. Uh, In season three, there's an episode called Mr. Henke's Christmas Classics, And it doesn't actually have a plot as an episode. It's basically a collection of Christmas songs sung by the South Park characters. And there's quite a few songs. I think there's like six or seven or maybe even eight songs. And some of them feature, you know, like a group of characters, a bunch of characters. So all in all, you get to see a lot of relatively minor characters included, which is a lot of fun. My favorite song in this episode is there's one where... Jesus and Santa perform songs that were kind of rhythm about them uh, throughout the years in this jazz club, and it's really, really fun, really well done. And it's on South Park's third season, like long before they had a huge production or anything. It still has this kind of feel of those early seasons, which I really like. Let me tell you kind of my personal experience with this episode. I first saw it when I was a kid. The episode came out when I was 12 or 13 and I loved that episode, so I think there was a stretch of, like, two weeks when I watched that episode, like, once or twice a day. Whoa. Constantly, just because it was music, you know? It, like, there wasn't a story that I, that was spoiled for me when I got to the ending of the, of the episode. It was just enjoying the music. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. and then for a while, like, I used to play it in the background when I was doing other things, you know, like... We used to play this video game called RuneScape, which didn't have music for it. It has music now. But back then, it was just this Flash game with nothing going, uh, like, in terms of sound. So I used to just play the episode on repeat, just listen to the music. And a while after I got to know this episode, I got my first uh, personal computer. Like, it was the first time in my life that I had a computer in my room, one that I didn't have to share with my three brothers. And I was really excited about that, and I wanted to use that computer... Every waking moment and like every time I wasn't using it felt like a waste of time. And back then I used to go to sleep with music playing every night, you know, and when I got that computer, I wanted to use it all the time. So I was trying to find something to do with it when I was going to sleep. So at first I thought about playing music with it, but it felt like something I could do with the the old stereo I used to have. So instead of playing music, I played that South Park Christmas special every night before I uh, went to bed. Uh, You know, I'd go to sleep with it in the background. It felt like I wasn't playing music, I was playing a video, which felt cool to me. Mm -hmm. But like, (laughs) I I listened to this episode so many times that like today, when I'm talking to you, or when I'm talking to other people, or just when I'm walking down the street, all kinds of sounds just remind me of this episode. I think I've Heard it too many times that now I'm hearing it <laughs> everywhere. I just watched it yesterday to kind of see if it still works for me, and I was just so excited going through it again. That's,
2: that's crazy. I I know that things you like you kind of consume often, <laughs> but if you're saying that you did it too much, then I just I can only imagine that's in <laughs> it's in the thousands. Thousands right? is
0: crazy. <laughs> is it is it the one with the Ding dong, okay, Yeah, Mr. Mackey sings that song.
2: Oh, and there's also uh, Cartman and and Kyle's duet with uh, "Riddle, riddle, riddle." Yeah.
0: And um, Mr. Garrison sings a song about how, on every Christmas day, he goes around the world and tells, I think it was, Muslims, Hindus, and Japanese that they're heathens and that they should celebrate Christmas. <laughs> hey, it's a funny episode. <laughs> you gotta love Mr. Garrison. You gotta love him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I kind of, when I'm thinking about um, musical episodes, I'm thinking like kind of fun, uh, different experiences, but I get what you mean, Peter, it's kind of a distraction and it's, it could be just a drop in quality for an episode. They're not as consistent.
1: Yeah, they're they're very inconsistent, but um, like maybe if I was into more musical shows like Glee or something like that, then maybe I'd like it. But then again, it's not really a musical episode, it's just a musical series. Yeah. It's just, it's just a weird sort of um thing to do if you're not, like, if you're just, like, an action TV show and you start to do a musical show, it's like, a musical show would never do, like, an action, you know? Like, musical is just this weird genre where everyone sort of says, like, oh, we can get a piece of that. The only show that actually does a bit of everything is, um, it's very popular now, but um, Community, mm, yeah. Um, Community does like documentaries. They they do, they did a musical episode, which was quite funny. They did an action one with all the pinballs. Yeah, they do action ones like proper action movie things. So they do um they do a, like a mockumentary of like all these sort of different styles. It's kind of something between a uh, a
0: parody or a homage.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, and like often it is closer to homage because they just do it so well, but. Um, it's also a parody because they make fun of it as well but that's like a rare show if ever every show did that then it just wouldn't be fun
0: what would be the weirdest tv show to do a musical episode the i i haven't watched a lot of tv except flight of the concords and firefly which we've done for the podcast and the the new netflix thing the the last dance on netflix about michael jordan which I would have wanted to see it do a
1: dual musical episode, but I don't think that, <laughs> there's any chance for that. Something like NCIS, I imagine, that would be weird because there's a lot of yeah. murder and the music would have to be like all dramatic and everything. It would have to be dramatic, yeah, yeah. or like maybe <laughs> House of Cards. That would seem odd. House of Cards would be <laughs> would be pretty weird
2: to have yeah. a musical on.
1: <laughs> I haven't watched it. I just didn't. I wasn't. I, I said um, NCIS first because I wasn't sure if House of Guards did do a musical episode. Didn't want to be caught. <laughs> but I thought, no, nah, definitely not. So
0: today we're talking about Annie Hall, a Woody Allen romantic comedy from 1977. In the movie Elvis Singer, which is played by Woody Allen, he is a comedian from New York, and he kind of takes us through his life, mostly his adult life, in what seems to be an attempt to find the reason why he can't find happiness. We meet Alvy at a pivotal point in his life, which is kind of a few months after his relationship with Annie Hall, now which is played by Diane Keaton, uh, has ended. He also tells us about his two failed marriages that came before that, and a little bit about his childhood. And his character is kind of a neurotic, a bit paranoid. He's been going to a psychoanalyst for 15 years. He kind of constantly self-analyzes himself. I think that the main thing about him is the fact that he can't seem to accept anything good in his life. Like whenever anything nice happens, he finds either a, the negative side in it or a way to distract himself from it. And on the other hand, the, the other main character, Annie Hall, she is a very positive person, her head's in the clouds sometimes, uh, and she has this kind of funny sense of fashion, which is something I had to have someone point out to me, Uh, but, you know, she's smart, even though she's a bit unconfident, at least in the beginning, and she also sees a therapist, but, like, all in all, she seems to be kind of level-headed, and, like, this movie is considered to be one of Woody Allen's best films, if not just the best. Uh, from what I've heard, it is one of the earliest movies of the rom-com genre. At the time of its release, it wasn't kind of in the norm to mix jokes and funny moments with stories about relationships in a movie. Another interesting thing to note is that as far as I've read back then, there weren't a lot of uh, romantic movies in which the hero doesn't end up with the girl, spoiler, and also, like Alan uses a, a number of very creative storytelling techniques, which I think make the movie interesting on a on a different level than just story or or morale or whatever. What what do you guys think of the movie?
1: I thought it was really funny, and it was um, it was a little bit all over the place for me, but I kind of felt like I was on the same page as Alvy. Just the jokes really clicked for me. It's just like the quick wit, like really quick wit. And just the lack of regard for people falling behind. Like, if if you're not going to get a joke, he doesn't dumb it down for you. And I thought that was really cool because, like, nowadays they feel like all the jokes are so just thrown in your face, you know, like all the Marvel movies and stuff like that, all the jokes are so explicit. But this one, like, if you haven't seen or read something in particular, he'll still say the joke and... I don't know. You miss a little bit because obviously you kind of read everything, but I think it's worth it because you actually get some sort of like deeper or maybe not deeper, but more interesting sort of dialogue. And I think um, the dialogue is pretty much what holds it all together. Um, Mm. Like it's not just talking between action scenes and it's not trying to prove a point or anything like that. It's really just two interesting people. Um, living their lives as I said it was all over the place for for me but I still really enjoyed it you kind of came
0: with higher expectations I think than at least me did the movie meet those expectations to you
1: yeah I didn't really think about it like that but I did come with high expectations because not to bang on about how Meet mother too much but (laughs) Ted always goes on about this movie and I assumed I'd be sort of if Ted likes it I always felt like I'd I'd kind of like it and mm. um and don't get me wrong, I did like it, but I felt like there was probably more to the to the lore that um like lore that um mm. I didn't get. Like it seemed more majestic. A movie without having seen it, I always thought Annie Hall. Like it's it's Annie Hall, and I thought it would sort of blow me away, and mm. it didn't blow me away. It was a fun thing to watch. It's also pretty short. So, um, I definitely didn't feel like I wasted any time, but um, it was sort of just, it was just a very amusing, you know, and like, if you make a really great film, people don't say, oh, that was really amusing. Like, they'll say, oh, that was amazing. That was inspiring, you know, like, but for me, I really have to stick with amusing. So, because it it, it keeps it solidly in like positive territory, but it just, it's not going to reach like the heights of some of this stuff.
0: Mario, what do you think?
2: I liked it. Well, first of all, I think it's got this uh, Woody Allen vibe that everyone keeps mentioning. And, and it holds up. I think it, it brings something that's that still to this day. I mean, the movie is from 77, right? And it's surprising watching it, you know, a, a good couple of decades after and that it still successfully kind of talks to something that we can all relate to. And it's actually very funny, I think. When I try to think what I, like usually my problem with old movies is the rhythm, right? Like I really like Star Wars. I think my issue with the old movies, you know, the the original trilogy, is kind of like the rhythm of of the actual movie. This one, maybe because it was short and and it was all over the place, but you always felt that it draws this uh, point to each scene. If the character says something, it's either for for the plot or because it's funny, and there's no like idle talk. And it resonated with me. I, I like that. Um, I, I found most of the jo- jokes pretty funny, and the general plot uh, kind of kind of relatable. I agree that um, that it's not a masterpiece as as you would kind of tend to think. But you know, Peter, uh, like even in in How I Met Your Mother, they they kind of adore this cultural. Milestones uh, like Star Wars, like Annie hall, because it was tremendous at at that time, and I guess today we kind of have like different standards. So I think I I kind of prepared myself for something that is a, that it will be harder to associate
0: myself with. I think it was a good surprise. You talked about the the rhythm and the pacing of the movie, and I think like it, it has a lot to do with kind of the way that. Uh, Woody Allen speaks because, like the the beginning of the movie, you see Alvy standing in front of the camera and just talk to us. He's telling us the story, so kind of the whole story is basically him telling us his story. And you know, he he talks quickly. He doesn't wait for for you to get the point. He just goes from point to point to point, and he just goes all over the place. So I think kind of the the pacing of the movie is the pacing of Woody Allen's speech, if you know what I mean. Yeah,
2: definitely. I I can also say that um, it's like, well, I haven't seen all
0: of of Allen's movies, but uh, most of them are. Kind of like the same uh, Mm. quick vibe. Really fluid. I really had a hard time with this movie, Um, at least the first time I watched it, because I watched it twice. But like the first time I watched it, I... Didn't like any of the characters. I think that there's like nothing deep in terms of the story. I thought the the writing was witty. Like I thought it was a funny movie. I really liked uh, all the kind of interesting things that Woody Allen does throughout the movie in terms of storytelling. But like, I, it wasn't enough to make the experience really positive for me. And like you said, Peter, it's not a real long movie. Like it's 90 minutes, even yeah. 85, something like that. And by the end, I kind of lost interest and I was just waiting for it to end. And I knew that I was probably missing something and that, like, I was still going to read about the movie and try to figure out what I'd missed. And after kind of having it explained to me by a few, you know, like, YouTube videos and movie reviews, I think I understand the movie a bit better now. Definitely not perfectly, but better. And I still, I, I, I still don't really connect... With the movie on like personal level, but all in all, I kind of I like the story. I like what the, the I think the meaning of it is, and like every time I think about that movie, or at least about the story, about what I think the meaning is, I like it a little bit better. Uh, all in all, I like that movie. What did you think the meaning was? The the meaning of the movie was. Uh, Alright, so here's what I think the movie is about. I'd like to know what you guys think about it later. So, sure. uh, like as I've mentioned, I think that Alvi uh, disrupts. Anything good that happens to him? Like, we never see him enjoy anything for, for a minute. You know, either with his ex-wives or, or you know, the moment that things seem to go great with Annie. Like, after they say, I love you for the first time, he freaks out about moving in together and, and everything starts to break apart right then. And he starts picking on Annie about the most mundane things, about the smallest things And, um, like, in the end, he doesn't get to be with Annie, but I think that in the end, he seems to learn from the experience, he grows, and maybe he'll be able to find happiness in the future. You know, I think it's a movie about the fact that he, his lack of happiness comes from within You know, it's the way he experiences the world, the way he looks at it that blocks him from finding
1: happiness. Yeah, that's what I got from it as well.
0: Uh, Like one of the first things he says in the movie is that he and Annie broke up and he can't get his mind around that. And in the end, we see him kind of coming to terms with it, you know, uh, maybe even gaining this optimistic point of view. Did you guys know that the movie was supposed to be called Anhedonia? It was the working title of the movie, Anhedonia, which means inability to be happy. Hmm, interesting.
1: I feel like I'm the one that keeps going on about hedons and all this stuff, so I feel <laughs> like I should have known that. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I'm glad they changed the name, yeah. because Anhedonia just sounds like continental philosophy on steroids. So, <laughs> no, any um, Hall, Hall is a classic is much movie name, yeah. Yeah. It, it does explain a lot. I always felt like the theme was self-sabotage, like yeah. just... As soon as he's going well, he just trips on his own feet and, you know. Yeah. And sometimes I, and I feel like it was almost not deliberate, but like just, just brimming on his subconscious, you know. Yeah. Like as soon as he recognizes everything's going well, he, he sort of just freaks out a little bit and just needs something else to go wrong.
0: Yeah. Throughout the movie he's really self-centered. He can't be happy for anyone else, for anything good that happens to them. And he can't be happy for anything that happens to him at all. I think the the movie kind of starts with it. He doesn't want to be a member of a club that will have him. So
2: that's kinda of like the the theme the entire movie where where he's frustrated by that and, and he keeps getting hurt by it because every time he's onto something good, it seems unworthy to him because he doesn't want to be a part of, of that club.
1: And he doesn't want to be with any girl that Likes yeah, right? yeah. Uh,
2: and and the moment she goes away, and he's not fit for that club anymore, then he
0: wants her back. He wants He wants to be back so yeah. badly. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's
1: a good analysis. Yeah.
0: yeah, I totally missed it, like the first time By I watched way, it. By
2: the way, I think that I don't. The way I got it, and it's interesting to hear that you think that uh, he kind of changed. But my take is that he did. The, the character didn't really change. I mean, because the movie ends in him saying. You know the joke with uh, my brother thinks he's a chicken, and then the doctor mm. says, "Then why won't you commit him?" And then you, and then he says, "Well, I would, but I, I need, I need the, the eggs." eggs. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of like uh, Woody Allen saying, "I understand that relationships are a mess, and it's hard, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna get affected by it, but I need it anyway." It's kind of like reconciliation with, with the fact that. It's never going to be okay. Like he, I don't know. It's kind of like you know, it's it's accepting the situation instead of of being miserable by it.
0: Yeah, it's accepting it but not changing yeah, it. Yeah,
2: that's kind of like what I got.
0: I don't know. I thought the, in the end there was this a montage, you know, of all. It's like he remembers all the good moments he had with Annie, and then they go their separate ways. And I thought of it as kind of a he he accepts that. The relationship is over, but he, he still gained something along the way. You know, like the fact that he is able to see the good in life, even if it's in the past, even if it's over, allows him to kind of look beyond the bad things in life. That's how I saw it.
1: No, I, th- I think that's pretty spot on.
0: And I like that. I like that. I totally like I said, I totally missed it the first time I saw it. I didn't think there was anything to the story. I thought that the the movie was a platform for Woody Allen to place himself, you know, among a lot of beautiful, tall people, talented people, and tell jokes and be like the funny guy. So I thought it was a lot of self, like uh, just masturbation for Woody Allen. But it's sex, it's sex with someone he loves. Don't uh, <laughs> don't sell it short. <laughs> that's the only line in the movie that really, really annoyed me. He he tells Annie that the classes she's taking are like masturbation. Like he knocks off masturbation. Mental masturbation. Yeah. And then she says, uh, I, I don't remember, but the, she says something bad about masturbation. And he says, don't knock masturbation off. It's sex with someone you love. But like just a second ago, you <laughs> knocked it off yourself. I, I did not like that.
1: No, I, I like that actually. <laughs> that. And also coining the term mental masturbation is... Is funny because I hear that term like thrown around a lot.
2: That's that's the character of Woody Allen throughout the movie. I mean, he's keeps saying things and they're opposite. He tells her to go to uh, and study like adult courses, and then he says they're trash. And uh, yeah,
0: he he, like keeps contradicting. That that's his character. He's he's just you're right. I guess that's part of his comedy. You know. Yeah, you're right. But for some reason, a lot of these kind of contradictions and a lot of things that are supposed to be kind of clear to the viewer didn't work for me. I I don't think it's a problem with the movie because people love this movie and people get this movie, but I I, for some reason I just didn't get it. I needed every bit of it to be explained to me.
1: Okay. Yeah, that does make sense. I felt like I was sort of a little bit more relaxed in terms of I was happy to miss a few jokes as long as I felt like I was having a good time and I feel like i got a, enough of it to really sort of enjoy myself. And there were, like, some really easy jokes as well. Like, like it's not like you had to be, like, a physicist to understand everything. Like, there there was some, like, the one how he's talking to the young Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. and he's just, like, um, having this absolutely weird conversation <laughs> with him. And he just says, uh, sorry, I've got to go, but I'm actually due back on Earth. Yeah. And, and then they get into the car later on where, um, Christopher Hawkins um, I forget the guy's name, but, um, he, he was talking about like, when you go past the cars, um, and you see the headlights and you just think about for a second, just like swerving in front of them. And then they go in, um, they do this sort of panoramic view of the, the car and, then you've got him driving and he's just smiling and, and he's just like <laughs> distracted. And then like, you see like the headlights and you see, um, you see Alvy just like sweating, just like keeping an eye on the, <laughs> on the headlights. I thought that was like, that was like pretty easy to get, but I don't expect like a 1977 movie to be so <laughs> sort of on the comedy, you know, like maybe I just assume like, cause I'm born later, I feel like I can only be the funny generation, but like. You know, there was some legitimate comedy that still stands up today like yeah. back in 1977. And also I want to mention like we we've actually seen a few movies not not from 1977 but we've seen Jaws which is 1975, 1975 the producers and then we from saw the producers 67. So we yeah. have a little bit like we're slowly building up the timeline yeah. but like if you compare this to Jaws 2 years apart like Jaws does feel like the jokes just don't compare to Woody Allen. Like the Woody Allen jokes are like yeah. way more interesting. Yeah. Like the, the dialogue is like the best pit jaws is obviously um, like cinematically shot to perfection, yeah. but it's um, it, it doesn't hold up um, compared to the dialogue of Woody Allen. Not at all. So as much as, as much as it was a bit messy around the sides, like I could see how people really like the film if they've watched it a lot. And, it, it's like a bit of a cult sort of following. Like I, I can imagine just if for, for people like us, if we just want to see it once, we might not love it. But if you grew up with this film and you can remember all the lines, I can, I could imagine this being a sort of like one of those imperfect films, which you sort of always come back to.
0: Yeah, I agree. Here's a, a couple of details that I, I, I think they're really minor. I like, I don't think they're, as meaningful as I'm going to talk about them right now, but they really made the movie more endearing to me. Like the first one is those scenes where he's, you know, you see Alvy walking down the street and he basically talks to us. He's telling us like how confused or or how frustrated he is. I think it happens once when he and Annie, I think, break up and he puts her in a taxi and then he, she drives away and he's talking to us. But as he's talking and he's telling us about all the things that bother him, random people in the street are kind of talking back to him and kind of giving him answers, you know? And it's, like, mostly the correct answers, what what a normal person would feel. That and the fact that when the movie ends, the the last scene, the, the scene where they go their separate ways and the movie ends, that's shot from within, like, a restaurant, from an anonymous kind of viewer. Like, you don't know who's looking at them, but it's it feels like, you know, you're just looking at a couple of people and it's like a huge moment in their lives. You know, they finally managed to kind of move forward with their lives, but you're just a random uh, viewer. So the fact that, like, you're a random viewer, you're looking around and it can, it can happen to anyone, and the fact that the, everyone on the street have answers to what frustrates him... It, it adds another meaning to the movie, which says every one of us deals with these kind of things. You know, it's not that Elvis Singer is special. We're all going through it,
1: which I, I really liked. Yeah, I did enjoy that bit, actually, that they do that quite a lot. He breaks the fourth wall. Very often. Yeah, like systematically yeah. all the time. And, um, yeah, it kind of brings you in to the movie a little bit more. Like, not many movies do break the fourth wall, but when they do... Like I know the biggest the biggest movie to break the fourth wall recently was the Deadpool yeah um, movie, but that felt like a really big deal. This one felt like very just casual. Like yeah, like when was he was speaking no <laughs> there yeah like there was no wall. Like he was just speaking. Like it felt like he was breaking the fourth wall, but he also wasn't because he was just talking to himself and you were breaking the fourth wall in this weird sense yeah. where huh. you were seeing something you weren't really meant to see.
0: Yeah, mm. that's a great way yeah. to say it. Yeah, you know, I, know it. I
2: didn't I didn't think about the last scene um as you presented. That's that's really great. I I I now understand the last scene like in a completely different way. Like it even makes it more relatable. You know, in a way that that you kind of glance at, at the universe and the universe kind of glances
0: back at you. I think the in movies that are kind of, you know, in this genre, in this kind of rom-com genre, especially in ones that are told from the perspective of the male lead, you're usually kind of supposed to fall in love with the, the female lead, you know what I mean? Like, um, mm. here's some examples, there's like Clementine from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which she's so charming, and, and Summer from 500 Days of Summer, and there's Amy from Chasing Amy, and maybe even Samantha from Her, even though you don't see her th- at all throughout the movie. But those are, like, characters that are presented in a light that makes you fall in love with them, you know? But here, I didn't really feel it too much towards Annie. Uh, like, I thought she was cute. She seemed fun. Uh, but it's not that I didn't want her, to, you know, I-, I didn't want her to be happy in the end, and, and when the movie ended. But, like, I-, I didn't feel like I could connect with her in real life. What do you guys think about her character? I think that both characters or even... All of them are non-relatable
2: in first sight. All of them are are eccentric. You know, even if you take Alison, I think his first wife in the movie, she's she's also also weird. I really liked her. Yeah, I liked her actually. Yeah, but but she's not. But I don't think she's relatable. I mean, she she kind of seems like cold and distant to begin with. And
0: I don't think you were supposed to kind of uh, connect with her too much. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think like I guess in most uh, comedies. Like most of the characters are kind of like um, characters, like, like they kind of pre- symbolize or maybe represent a, a, a typecast of 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 someone that you know. Um yeah. Like you can say, like you know, at first when I saw Woody Allen, it, it reminded me of a of a friend that always imitates Woody Allen. And <laughs> but but also but also um, when seeing um, Annie she she also reminds me of someone i mean she's she's definitely not the same the same person but it's uh, like you recognize that even though you don't necessarily sympathize uh with her um so i agree i think that's ge- in general like all the characters and and i think that Annie, as one of the leads is it's it's more significant that that you don't really You don't really get on on the vibe of of that character. Like, she starts very shy. I don't know. You kind of get the feeling that she's um, uneducated because because, uh, Singer kind of tries to push her towards, uh, you know, adult courses or something like that.
0: He always buys her books and
1: stuff. Yeah. She always felt like, to me, like she was educated or like she was at least smart, but she never really expressed it, and, like, um, and Alvy was, like, he just want- It's not like he wanted her to be smart, but he wanted her to look smart, you know? Like, it was all about the image, how people looked at them. Hmm. Like, he couldn't be seen to have a dumb girlfriend.
0: How'd you like, uh, her character Peter?
1: Um, I quite liked her, actually. Like, weirdly enough, um, I thought the fashion- was actually kind of cool, like, I, like that's obviously what she's known for, so it feels a bit cliche pointing out, but yeah, I don't know, like, it was a kind of a it really defined a character for me, like, the just the way she was a little bit, f- um, not flaky, but, um, like it, it's exemplified in the scene after the tennis, where she's just like, oh, are you going uptown? And he's like, um, no, I'm going downtown. And she's like, oh, I'm going downtown. Like, She's sort of flaky, but she's also sort of just um really free-spirited, yeah. just doesn't doesn't really need to have her finger on the pulse. And the fashion just seems like she never really noticed other people dressing. She That's just how she just wanted to dress. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she rocks it. So, um, I don't really feel connected to her a lot. I don't know if it's just because it's an older movie or something and girls sort of dress differently or... They look a bit different, but I don't know, like, I didn't really connect with her too much, but I didn't really feel like that was the point. I feel like, I feel like Alvi connected with her, but I feel like, um, I feel like Alvi was also sort of didn't really get her at all. Like he just wanted to sort of force her to like do this college stuff and like, um, sort of. Be the person that he wants to date, mm. whereas Annie just wasn't really having it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like Alvi did obviously like her a lot, and like, I feel like maybe in time, like, w- and with wisdom, he'll understand that he really did like her for who she was. But like, he was always trying to change her. So I don't know how if if I could I could see an argument being made that Alvi didn't really connect with her either.
0: No. Yeah. Hmm,
1: that's an interesting one. That makes a lot of sense to me now. One thing that I, I, I did like
0: is that, like, despite the fact that Elvie couldn't find anything in his life that makes him happy, uh, at least throughout the movie, he had a v- kind of a positive impact on Annie's life. Like, he he drove her crazy uh, near the end of their re- relationship and, and everything, but all in all, if you look at it, like, after she auditioned to sing at that bar, she wanted to quit, and she would have quit, uh, but he, he encouraged her and uh, to continue. And that proved to be kind of the moment where everything starts picking up for her. Like, she starts singing, her confidence kind of builds up. She gets this deal to move to a, a new place in California and she records albums with famous people and she becomes happy. So I think that all in all, Alvy had a positive impact on Annie's life.
2: Does Annie, Annie's wardrobe change throughout the movie?
0: Yeah, a little bit. But she
2: starts wearing very... Um manish i guess outfits you know with the with yeah,
0: the... a vest and a tie and like i'm
2: trying to think i think like the last scene she's wearing this white dress where where they meet
0: in la and like this pink scarf and these big glasses maybe maybe it is kind of a symbol for that yeah
2: but i knew i know that it kind of popped uh, out to me that when they're breaking up like they go back from la um, they decide on the plane that they want to break up and then they kind of split their belonging, belonging, belongings, <laughs> belongings. <laughs> belongings. Thank you. Um, then they, they're kind of wearing matching
0: sweaters. Hmm, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird because they look like an old married couple, but they're splitting up and I try
0: to understand, well, I don't think it was that mannish, but it, it's just like look weird. Yeah, maybe her external appearance has like tells us something about her growth. Yeah. I think uh did you guys know that uh Woody Allen and Diane Keaton used to date a few years before they made this movie? No. no way. Yeah, you know,
2: I just read I, I went into Woody Allen's biography um just before we started recording and kind of went over it and and yeah, it, it took me by surprise. By the way, I, I also didn't mention but it um it also took me by surprise that that's Diane Keaton. Like I watched half the movie, even more, um, <laughs> b- before my girlfriend kind of mentioned that's Diane Keaton. <laughs> and it really took me by surprise. I said, that's why why she's so familiar. I wouldn't have recognized
0: her, like if I didn't know that before. <laughs> but yeah, Woody Allen and Diane Keaton they used to date, um, and I think that Woody said that a lot in Annie and Elvis' relationship was based on his relationship with uh, Keaton. And there's like a lot of similarities to their lives. He wrote that part basically for her. Yeah. Kitten's previous name was Hall
2: before she was Diane Kitten. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She was born Diane Hall. Hmm. Annie was, you know, just a chosen name for the character. And Kitten said that Annie's character is not exactly her. Like a lot of the things that the character says or does are things that Kitten would never do. But that part was definitely written for her. And obviously, Alvy Singer, was. a lot of it is based on Woody's life. Woody's also from New York, uh, started as a comedian. Um, There's a lot of similarities to their life.
1: It does feel very organic, though, doesn't it? Yeah. It doesn't feel like they set out. It feels weird that it's even in a movie. It just feels so casual, you know? It feels so, like, relaxed. And that's kind of why I enjoyed it. I didn't really feel like there was much pressure on it. And the dialogue was just, like... It felt not like a stand-up comedy, but just definitely felt like it flowed really nicely, yeah. you know? Yeah, I agree. Like, I feel I feel like a lot of movies nowadays are just like, oh, well, how can we get from scene A to scene B, you know? And, like, what, what do I have to say? And then do we add any jokes? Do we add any sort of humor? What would this guy do? What would this guy do? This felt like it was almost improv. It just felt like let's see how we can flesh out our characters in this scene and let's see what we can do in this scene. Like, there was no sort of, like, direction.
0: Yeah, things naturally evolved from one point to another. Yeah. Like like I said, I didn't really enjoy the movie the first time I watched it, but there's no avoiding the fact that there's a bunch of, like, very creative ways to tell the story, you know? Like, and I've seen some of them used in later movies, but they feel very natural here. Um, I think the first one... Uh, to mention the first one that kind of happens in the movie is the one in Alvi's class when he's a kid. Like, Alvi tells us about his childhood and about his time in school. And he shows us something that happened to him that that was meaningful to him back then. I think it was when he kissed that girl and that teacher got really angry at him. And, like, suddenly, (laughs) it's not a flashback anymore. Suddenly, his current self... Uh, current older self is in the scene sitting in that chair and he's actually talking with the teacher and and you know and the other kids and he tries to explain himself to them i i loved it because like i i don't think i've seen something like that in other movies but it's also a, a very interesting way to tell the story because it tells us that he's like still bothered by something fairly minor that happened like 30-something years ago when he was like six or eight or whatever he was. I, I think it's a very inventive way to tell the story.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I think it's, it's an awesome scene. I, scene. I think that's kind of like the Woody Allen magic that um, he... And, and you know, the, the whole thing that there's, there's an entire scene about sexuality that happens in, in like a classroom. Like, yeah. <laughs> with young children, which is kind of weird. And also, yeah. you know, future Woody Allen... Uh, if if we would know what future Woody Allen would do, it probably would look a bit even weirder. Um, for those of you who didn't, don't know, uh, Woody Allen married one of his uh, adopted daughters.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it's
2: kind of weird. Um, like, he married... Um, I forgot her name. Um, never mind. Um, and... <laughs> And uh, they had like, I don't know, four or five adopted children and he got really close to one of them and eventually uh, he divorced uh, He divorced his wife and married his daughter, which is kind of weird. Really? Um, whoa. I didn't yeah, know it's...
1: that. I knew yeah. like a little bit because I've heard sort of like some, not jokes about it, but just like discussions about it, like on other podcasts and stuff. And, yeah, he's he's sort of got the wrath of this new Hollywood sort of, um, like, this uncovering of, like, things the Hollywood people do, you know? Like, not as bad as Hart v. Weinstein, but... Weinstein, Weinstein, but, yeah, like, in that direction, at least. So, it was a bit, bit creepy, but I think as a, like, in general, I think our show's policy is pretty much just focus on the art. Yeah. Like, we did it with... Um, Kevin Spacey in... Um, American Beauty. In American Beauty, yeah. So, we try not to mention it, but um, we're not part of the establishment, so you don't have to worry. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm watching the, the film. I, I concentrate on the film. I I am interested in these kind of things, but when I watch a movie, I watch a movie, and that's it. I don't let these things kind of seep in. Yeah,
1: I, yeah, I think that's the that's the rule, I reckon, because... Uh, One, also, like, because if if it turns out, like, lots of people in the 80s do this, then all of the movies we suddenly like, we're going to have to do, like, some quick course correction (laughs) to pretend we don't like it anymore. Um, (laughs) Like, if, God forbid, like, Bruce Willis did something bad, then I'd have to be like, Die Hard, or, no, I don't know, it just wasn't shot well, and, you know, like, I'd have to just... Pretend that I don't like it. So um,
2: yeah, the rumor is that is kind of is kind of a dick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is that really a rumor? Because I I don't know, could be right. But <laughs> yeah,
2: he's supposed to be a, a very tough person to work with.
1: You hear that with a few people, like Edward Norton. Apparently, isn't very nice to work with. Really, like, it's hard to know. It's like so charming though. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Um, part of the reason why he left Marvel or something like that, but oh, really? like, it's hard to know. Like some of it's just rumors. Some of it's like, has a grain of truth, but it's just like spread like far and wide. And yeah, like as long as they're like a degree of separation, like, because I watch like, um, Woody Allen movies. And when I say movies, I mean just this one, <laughs> because like he, it turns out he's pretty good at, you know, making movies and it's, it was fun to watch. I don't watch Woody Allen movies because of Woody Woody Allen himself. You know, yeah. like if he wasn't a good actor, I wouldn't watch it. So, like, I I might find it harder if it was like a stand-up comedy where like you really are watching the person, and you're you know? supposed to like, feel a personal connection to the, the you guy, are yeah, not the
0: actor, not the character, the the actor, the performer.
1: Yeah, then I would feel I I feel like I could do that course correction yeah. where I I I could pivot and say, um. I don't know how I feel about that. It wasn't I don't really approve what they did, and therefore I don't really get my satisfaction out of watching it. Yeah. But when there's even like a small degree of separation, like definitely with movies because you're acting. I guess it could be with music, depending like if it was really heartfelt music, maybe not. But I could see most music being I, I could listen to no worries and. Yeah. So yeah. I guess those are the two big ones. There's not many big stories of like book writers and stuff. But yeah.
2: Wait. So, so Ed Norton, who played the Hulk, was too angry. <laughs> Barry in order... is still <laughs> He was too angry in order to stay in, Mar- in the Marvel Universe. That's funny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he was too. Healthy. He was actually, <laughs> he actually kept on getting angry. And that was the problem. <laughs> he was getting he too angry.
0: <laughs> oh, so let me give you some more examples of interesting storytelling techniques um, Woody Allen used in the movie. Um, Like we mentioned before, he constantly shatters the fourth wall. And I think the most interesting time he did that is when they're waiting in line for the cinema and that guy behind him keeps talking about films and stuff that Alvi is intensely annoyed about. And he shatters the fourth wall uh, and, and it gives us a glimpse kind of inside of Alvi's mind Uh, He dreams of proving to the world that he's right, even if it's the most minor arguments, you know, or uh, when Annie tells Alvi about previous guys she dated, instead of having her Mm. tell him about it or showing a flashback, they do this flashback scene where Annie and Alvy actually are walking in, like you see the the young Annie with the guy she used to date, and you see Annie and Alvy, today's Annie and Alvy, and they're, kind of criticizing young Annie. It's a really interesting way of, really fun way to quickly show the past of the characters, you know, and telling us how today's character think about that, you know? There's uh, the scene where they're on the, uh, Annie's building rooftop, I think, and they're talking and there's subtitles that show us kind of the underlying meanings of what they're saying, uh, which is an interesting. Oh, way I love to that, do that scene. Yeah,
1: that was yeah, that was the kind of a brilliant scene. Not just because of the subtitles, but the actual like what they were saying. They kept, they just kept trying to like overanalyze, and then yeah, you know, like they were they were trying to like continuously sort of get on the same page, and they wanted to be on the same yeah. page, but they kept misinterpreting each other and like um, having this like self conscious dialogue, yeah. and yeah, that was a really cool scene. Actually, I love that. There's
0: a few more examples, but one that I really liked is the scene where they're you know the the screen is split, and you see both of Annie and uh, yeah. Alvi talking to their analysts, and you know they both talk about the same things, but their perspectives are so different that like it shows you how the gap between them is huge, you know it lets us see what both of the characters are thinking about the same things. but I think like also in that scene, Annie sounded really. Really sensible while Alvis sounded paranoid.
1: Some of these scenes have been used, um, many times in other things. Yeah. Like, I know obviously How Meet Mother's a big one there. How Meet Mother's like a f- show full of these scenes, like in the same way that Community is a show full of parodies. How Meet Mother's a show full of scenes like this where they do split screens, they talk to each other in the past, like they even say past Ted, future Ted, yeah. you know, and, um, stuff like that but yeah all of this stuff is really kind of breakthrough moments for yeah. a film in in this time.
2: There's also the scene where uh um, where their families kind of on a split screen but their families yeah. kind of talk with each other and also kind of um, make the differences show. Well. I think that's what that's kind of what appealed me with uh, with the entire movie. It's very it got like very special storytelling, like you like you call it, yeah. It's
0: very, uh, very, very interesting in that kind of way. It's very creative. It's very inventive, and like like I said, even the first time when I didn't enjoy the movie, I didn't really like it. I thought that in terms of movie making, really interesting
1: stuff. Really good. Yeah. Say what you want about it, but. They didn't copy anyone and no one's really been able to recreate what they did. No, yeah. I didn't watch all the movies,
0: but I my gut says that you're right about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen all the movies yet.
0: Yet, we'll get there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Woody Allen, or Alvy, I should say, brings this quality of stand-up comedians of sort of being a philosopher. Like, I feel like a lot of stand-up comedians now sort of play the role of philosopher. Whereas, like, the 1900s, you had, like, Camus and all these famous philosophers. Now, of course, we do have some <laughs> um, philosophers, but, like, philosophy is sort of being overtaken a little bit by, by science and neuroscience and biology and stuff like that. And we're sort of... We're always finding new things to talk about, new thought experiments, but I feel like on the, what would you say, like less on on the analytical side, more on just the experimental, I feel like this is a very early sort of sign of like stand-up comedians sort of filling that void, you know, like trying to point out the absurdities in the way we live and trying to bring new insights and, and and say it really quickly as well, not over the course of, like, books, just, like, short, witty ways to sort of... Like, they are sort of thought experiments in a way, but, um, yeah, I just felt like um, I didn't know that was a, a thing back in the 70s that stand up comedians were like that. I thought they were a little bit more like dad jokes, <laughs> but it's good to know, like, it, it started earlier <laughs> than... Um, than what I thought,
0: yeah, there is something about that, like comedians are some they kind of make it... you know these kind of thought experiments like you said it, kind of more accessible to the regular person, yeah, it's an interesting way to think about it. I gotta say that
2: in the last episode after watching the first season of Flight of the Concords, I wasn't sure if I'm going to watch i I'm still not sure if i'm gonna going to watch the second season, but with this movie, it kinda like i i'm I'm thinking about watching other Woody Allen movies they kind of maybe want to dive a bit deeper into into his narrative and, and and see if he keeps bringing like maybe new concepts of storytelling and introduce like similar uh, relatable topics. I remember that a couple of years ago, I think I also mentioned that at the end of the last episode, I watched Magic in the Moonlight that he also, I think he directed, it. he doesn't play in it. Uh, it was just, you know, charming. Mm. That's all, all in all a good experience from, uh, from Annie Hall. Yeah, maybe we can uh, maybe we can take them to make some more quests about them, and yeah. then uh, you know after visiting uh, Tycho uh, enough time,
0: <laughs> then uh, then we move to Mo- Woody Allen. Woody Allen, the next takeaway Waititi. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Blasphemy.
0: <laughs> well, to me, this movie eventually got me to think about myself and kind of compare myself to Alvi and and think about how I would react in similar situations. I think that the main theme in this movie is one that a lot of people deal with in their lives. And while I don't think most people experience it as dramatically or intensely as Alvi did, I think it's an interesting one to talk about. Like, to me, I look at this movie in three different levels. Uh, The first one is the movie itself, or like how much fun I had watching it, which wasn't too much. The second is the story and, uh, you know, the meaning behind it, which I really liked. And the third is the storytelling techniques uh, used throughout the movie because... I I thought they were really fun, like watching all of the ways that Woody Allen utilizes to to just tell a story. Uh, I loved it. So but I don't know, to me it's kind of a the middle of the road kind of film, which leans a bit toward the good end of the scale. I'm I'm happy we did this. I'm happy we got to watch a Woody Allen movie. Dunno if I'll watch this movie soon again.
1: Well if we ever do sort of some culture quest Award ceremony or something in the future. Like mm. I feel like this wouldn't be a contender because we have American Beauty and um, the one I always forget the name of Hunt for um, the Wilder People. Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah. So um, yeah, this one doesn't really compare for me. Even Jaws, I kind of preferred more than this. Yeah. But same here. It was still nice. It was a nice to experience it. Ouch! It's not even in the on the Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, the movies we've done, The Man on Wire in the 2000s, Annie Hall and Jaws, 1970s, and uh, American Beauty, uh, late 90s, 1998. But the next one we will do is something, and Non and me have been um, sort of wanting to watch for a long time, but we'll do something from the early 90s, so 1993. And um, this is Jurassic Park. So Jurassic Park features... Um, is a Steven Spielberg. So that'll be our second uh, movie by Steven Spielberg after Jaws. And um, it features Sam Neill, who's been in Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, so we've, we're familiar with a few things here, but it also has Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum. And this is another one similar to Jaws and similar to a lot of Steven Spielberg movies where it's just a massive cultural gap that we want to fill. I'll read the plot because I actually, I know a little bit about it, but not a lot. I think it's mostly to do with sort of trying to recreate dinosaurs again (laughs) and obviously what follows. But um, a pragmatic paleontologist visiting an almost complete theme park is tasked with protecting a couple of kids after a power failure causes the park's cloned dinosaurs to run loose. They kind of skipped over huh. why they cloned the dinosaurs, but Well um, that's
2: that's basically the description of any movie.
1: Oh know. like it's oh what what, what did where what ran loose? Oh just a you know a few guinea pigs, a whore <laughs> oh, and the clone dinosaur what? There's like, a donkey. <laughs> clone <laughs> dinosaurs? Oh yes. <laughs> yes. Oh. Okay.
2: <laughs> By the way, we I can I can't believe we didn't mention uh, Jeff Goldblum's cameo in. Oh yeah, in- yeah. I, mean, yeah. I was, didn't even recognize that was him. So I, funny. I had
1: to look him up and make sure it was him because he looks. He looks different. He looks jazzy. It's
0: just, uh, he has yeah. like five words in the movie, but they're really funny. He's calling up his as therapist or whatever. Remind me what's my mantra. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it's a reference to something. It's a good question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, it was hilarious. Uh, other than like the fact that it's a kind of a monster adventure movie by Steven Spielberg. the The score is by John Williams as well, right? He did Jaws, I think uh let me double check
2: well he usually checks those things before saying so it's no I'm,
0: I'm looking at it up right now yeah so that's another thing um uh, john williams did the music both here and in jaws oh that's really cool yeah i'm gonna watch this movie you know like any other movie i'm gonna try to just enjoy it for what it is but i'll definitely try to kind of think about similarities between this and Jaws because we loved a mm. lot of things about Jaws. L- yeah. Like the way that you don't see the shark and it's still scary as hell. Um, the music that it's... It's more adventurous kind of music more than it is yeah. horror and scary and stuff. There's a lot of things that we loved uh, that I'm going to try and see if they're repeated here because there's like 20 years between the movies. Dinosaurs have Jaws. <laughs> uh, cool, so... um I'm going to be watching Jurassic Park with my girlfriend. Every time I have to choose something for the podcast, she always whispers in my ear, do Jurassic Park, do Jurassic Park. Like she is so
1: excited about this. So that's cool. I guess I should be too. Nice. (laughs) You don't don't sound excited. (laughs) He's excited to be excited. Yep. (laughs) I know it's Spielberg
0: summer blockbuster, which is a good thing from early 90s, which I love movies from the early 90s. So there, there's a lot going yeah. for it. I, I bet it's going to be fun. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. <laughs> okay, so thank you, Peter.
1: Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, cool stuff.
0: <laughs> thank you, Peter. Thank you, Mario, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Cool stuff. Farewell.
2: It is the wee early hours of the morning here in Los Angeles, but I am still awake because I want you to listen to my podcast. Thank you so much to our dear friends at the Culture Quest podcast. My name is Piers. I have my co-host, Max, who's currently asleep. But we have an awesome podcast called The Secret Bunker Podcast. I think you're about to hear a promo. And if you like it, go to our website, secretbunkerpodcast.com. That's secretbunkerpodcast.com but we just wanted to go back to our roots just we the... are talking about it like it were some successful podcast returning to our roots <laughs> we, <haven't... laughs> we still have not posted a single episode just the two bros, two good friends talking about survivor. that doesn't really matter survivor, I am binge watching this show like you could not believe, <laughs> they make but... it
1: seem like I'm gonna be blind for the rest of the season so that we can make fire on the first night how do you think he has defied age for so long, plastic
2: he's... surgery he's giving a bit of his soul to the devil this stay so handsome.
1: <laughs> and I watched the first few episodes and then I was like how far are you? And you're like oh I'm two seasons past it. And I was like oh, yeah. never mind.
2: Just call it heist. I don't understand why money heist I think Please. heist might already
1: yeah. be a, a, the name of something. But
2: you would never hear the, those words in that order. No. It's not how grammar like, works.
1: as a, as a uh... A burglar, you're like, yeah, I committed a money
2: heist. No, you didn't commit a money heist. You committed a heist on money, perhaps. What does that
0: um, even mean? And was voted out, not strategically, purely because she defecated in the ocean.